Chapter Two of Prince Henry the Navigator, the Hero of Portugal and of Modern Discovery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Prince Henry the Navigator by Charles Raymond Beasley. Chapter Two Vikings or Northmen, circa 787 to 1066. The discoveries and conquests and colonies of the Norse Vikings, from the White Sea to North America, are the first glimpses of light on the sea of darkness round the little island of the known world that made up Christendom. And from the needs of the time, these were the natural, the only natural, beginnings of European expansion. From the rise of Islam, Saracens controlled the great trade routes of the south and east, it was only on the west and north that the coast was clear of all but natural dangers in the moslem caliphate men were now busy in following up the old lines of trade the immemorial traditions of the east or as in southern africa extending the sphere of commercial activity and so of civilization men of science were commenting on the ancient texts of greeks and latins or adopting them to enlarged knowledge but in Christendom, in the atrophy both of mental and physical activity, broken for short periods and in certain lands by the revivals of Charles the Great, of the Isarian emperors, of Otto I, of Alfred and his house, the practical energy of heathen enemies, for the Northmen were not seriously touched by Christianity till about the end of the first millennium, was the first sign of lasting resurrection after the material came the spiritual revival the whole life of the middle ages awoke on the conversion of the northern nations and of hungary but in the abundant and brilliant energy of the eleventh the twelfth the thirteenth centuries we must recognize the offspring of the irrepressible norsemen as well as of the irish and frank and english missionaries who in the dark ages of christendom were working out the empire of innocent the third in exploration especially it was true that theory followed achievement flavio gioja of amalfi did not apply the magnet to navigation did not give sailors the use of the magnet till navigation itself had begun to venture into the unknown atlantic the history of geographical advance in the earlier middle ages is thus rather a chronicle of adventure than of science but the norse discoveries are not only the first they are the leading achievements of western travel and enterprise in the true unknown between the time of constantine and the crusades the central fact of european expansion in the dark ages from the seventh to the eleventh century is the advance of the vikings to the arctic continent and to america about the year one thousand all that precedes this in the same line is doubtful and unimportant for of the other voyages to the west in the sixth the eighth the tenth centuries which on columbus's success turned into prior claims to the finding of the new world there is not one that deserves notice st brandon in five sixty five the seven spanish bishops in seven thirty four the basques in nine ninety may or may not have sighted their islands of antilia of atlantis of the seven cities they cannot be verified or valued 
any more than the journeys of the enchanted horse or the third calendar we only know for certain a few unimportant half-accidental facts such as the visits of irish hermits to iceland and the Faroes during the eighth century and the traces of their cells and chapels in bells and ruins and crosses found by the northmen in the ninth it was in 787 that the vikings first landed in england by the opening of the next century they were threatening the whole coastline of christendom from galicia to the elbe in 874 they began to colonize iceland in 877 they sighted greenland in 922 rolf the ganger won his normandy from charles the simple by the treaty of claire sur epte as early as 840 was founded the first norse or ostman kingdom in ireland and in 878 the norse earldom of the orkneys while about the same time the first vikings seem to have reached the white sea and the extreme north of europe this advance is almost as rapid as that of the early saracens within a hundred years from the first disturbance of danes and northmen by the growing all-including power of the new national kingdoms within three generations of Halfden the black first the flying rebels and then the royalists in pursuit of them had reached the farthest western and northern limits of the known world from finisterre in spanland to cape farewell in greenland from the north cape in finland to the northwest capes of Irland, from novgorod or holmgard in russia to valland between the garonne and the loire the chief lines of northern advance were three by the northwest southwest and northeast but each of these divided after a time with important results the first sea path running by caithness orkneys shetlands and faroes reached iceland greenland and at last vinland on the north american continent but from the settlements on the coasts and islands of northern scotland a fresh wave of pirate colonists swept down southwest into the narrow seas of st george's channel and beat upon the east and north and south of ireland and the western coasts of england and of bretland the second invasion ran along the north german coast and on reaching the straits of dover fell upon both sides of the english channel according as the resistance was stronger or weaker in wessex or in franklin the advanced guard reunited with ostmen and orkneyers in the scilly isles and in cornwall and pressed on to the plunder of the bay of biscay and its coasts the most restless of all were not long in finding out the wealth of the moslem caliphate of cordova and trying to force their way up to the duoro and the tagus the expansion on this side was not to stop till it had founded from the norman colony on the seine a norman kingdom of england and a dominion in the two sicilies but this was the work of the eleventh century the time of organization and settled empire on the third side of northern expansion to east and northeast there were two separate roads from the first one taking the baltic for its track and dividing northwards to finland up the gulf of bothnia eastwards to russia and novgorod Gadariki and Holmgard, the other coasting along Hologaland to Biarmaland, along Lapland to Perm and the Archangel of later time. 
of these three lines of movement by far the most vital to our subject is the first which is also the earliest the second to south and southwest hardly gives any direct results for our story and the third to east and north is mainly concerned with russian history while king alfred was yet unborn norse settlements had been permanently founded in the outlying points coasts and islands of scotland and ireland and in the years of his boyhood about eight sixty nadod the faraway jarl sighted iceland which had been touched at by the irish monks in seven ninety five but was now to be first added as a lasting gain to europe as a new country snowland something more than a hermitage for religious exiles from the world four years later in eight sixty four gardar the swede reached this new ultima thule and renamed it from himself gardar's home yet another viking raymond floke followed the track of the first explorer in eighteen sixty seven before iceland got its final name and earliest colonization from the norsemen ingulf and leif and the sheep farmers of the faroes in eight seventy four the third year of alfred's reign in wessex three years later eight eighty seven to eight at the very time of the farthest danish advance in england when guthrum had driven the english king to the isle of athelney the norsemen reached their farthest point of northern advance in europe gunbjorn sighted a new land to the northwest which he called white shirt from its snow-fields and which read eric a century later renamed greenland quote, for there is nothing like a good name to attract settlers end quote. by this the old world had come nearer than ever before to the discovery of a new one geographically this side of the arctic continent falls to the share of north america and once its fjords had been made in their turn centres of colonization and of further progress the actual reaching of newfoundland and cape cod was natural enough the real voyage lay between cape farewell and the european mainland it was a stormy and dangerous passage from the greenland bays to labrador but not a long one and as far as can be judged from scanty records neither so cold nor so ice-bound as at present but exploration had outrun settlement it was not until nine eighty six more than one hundred years after gunbjorn's discovery that eric the red one of the chiefs of the iceland colonists led a band of followers and friends into a permanent exile in the unknown land the beginnings of several villages were made in the first few years and the first american discoveries followed at once about nine eighty nine one bjarni herjulfsen following his father from iceland to eric's fjord in greenland was driven west by storms first to a flat well wooded country then to a mountainous island covered with glaciers he bore away with a fresh breeze and reached his home in eric's fjord in four days but his report roused great interest the time had come and the men and norse rovers who after so much of the past were ready to dare anything in the future eagerly volunteered to follow up the new route bjarni himself visiting norway and telling his story was blamed for his slackness and when he went back to greenland there was quote, much talk of finding unknown lands end quote. 
in the year one thousand leaf a son of red eric started with a definite purpose of discovery he bought bjarni's ship manned it with five and twenty men and put out first they came to the land bjarni had sighted last and went on shore there was no grass to be seen but great snowy ridges far inland quote, and all the way from the coast to these mountains was one field of snow and it seemed to them a land of no profit so they left calling it heluland or slateland perhaps the labrador of the sixteenth century they put out to sea again and found another land flat and wooded with a white sand shore low-lying towards the sea this said leaf we will call after its nature markland woodland then striving for two days before a northeast wind they came to an island where they landed to wait for good weather they tasted the dew on the grass and thought they had never known anything so sweet sailing on again into a sound between the island and a ness they reached a place where a river came out of a lake into this they towed the ship and anchored carrying their beds out on the shore and setting up their tents with a large hut in the middle and made all ready for wintering there there was no want of fish food quote, the largest salmon in the lake they had ever seen end quote, and the country seemed to them so good that they would need no fodder for cattle in the winter there was no frost the grass seemed fresh enough all the year round and day and night were more equal than in iceland or in greenland the crew were divided in two parts one worked at the huts and the other explored the country returning every night to the camp from the wild vines found by the foragers the whole district was called vinland and samples of these enough to fill the stern boat and of the trees and self-sown wheat found in the fields were taken back to eric's fjord thereafter leaf was called the lucky and got much wealth and fame but thorwald ericsson his brother thought he had not explored enough and determined to be talked about even more than the first settler of vinland he put to sea with thirty men and came straight to leaf's booths in vinland where he stayed the winter on the first signs of spring thorwald ordered his vessel to be rigged and sent his longboat on ahead to explore all alike thought the land beautiful and well wooded they noticed that the distance was small between the forest and the sea that the beach was all of white sand and that there were many islands off the shore and very shallow water but they saw no trace of man or beast except a wooden corn barn on an island far to the west after coasting all the summer they came back in the autumn to the booths the next spring thorwald went eastwards and quote, towards the north along the land they drove upon a cape and broke their keel and stayed long to repair and called the place keelness kilarness from this then they sailed away eastwards along the country everywhere thickly wooded till at one place thorwald drew up his ships to the land and laid out gangways to the shore saying i would gladly set up my farm here but now they came upon the first traces of other men far off upon the white sandy beach three specks were sighted 
three skin boats of the screelings or eskimos with three men hiding under each thorwald's men captured and killed eight of them but one escaped quote, to where within the fjord were several dwellings like little lumps on the ground end quote. a heavy drowsiness now fell upon the norsemen in the saga till quote, sudden scream came to them and a countless host from up the fjord came in skin boats and laid themselves alongside end quote. the vikings put up their shield wall along the gunwale and kept off the arrows of the eskimos till they had shot them all away and quote, fled off as fast as they could end quote, leaving thorwald with a mortal wound under the arm he had time just to bid his men quote, carry him to the point he had wished to dwell at for it was true that he would stay there a while but with a cross at head and feet and so died and was buried as he had said end quote. the place was called cross ness from the dead chief but the crew stayed all the winter and loaded the ship with vines and grapes and in the spring came back to eric in greenland and now after the first mishap discovery became more serious not to be undertaken but by strong and well-armed fleets it was this that checked the expansion of these arctic colonies at their best they were too small to do more than hold their own against nature and the screeling savages in their tiny settlements along the coast where the ice fields have long since pushed man slowly but surely into the sea with his painfully won patches of hay and corn and pasturage but the colonists would never say die till they were utterly worn out now they only roused themselves to conquer the new lands they had found and found disputed first a third son of red eric thorstein bethought him to go into vinland for his brother thorwald's body he put to sea and lost all sight of land beating about in the ocean the whole summer till he came back to greenland in the first week of winter 1004 to 6 he was followed by the greatest of the vinland sailors thorfinn karlsfinn who really took in hand the founding of a new settlement over the western sea he came from norway to iceland soon after thorwald's death in 1004 passed on to greenland about 1005 quote, when as before much was talked about a vinland voyage end quote. and in 1006 made ready to start with one hundred and sixty men and five women in three ships they had with them all kinds of cattle meaning to settle in the land if they could and they made an agreement carlsfin and his people that each should have an equal share in the gain leif lent them his houses in vinland quote, for he would not give them outright end quote. and they sailed first to heluland labrador where they found a quantity of foxes then to markland well stocked with forest animals then to an island at the mouth of a fjord unknown before covered with eider ducks they called the new discoveries stream island and stream fjord from the current that here ran out into the sea and sent off a party of eight men in search of vinland in a stern boat this was driven by westerly gales back to iceland but Thorfinn, with the rest, sailed south till he came to Leif Erikson's river that fell into the sea from a lake, with islands lying off the mouth of the stream, low grounds covered with wheat growing wild, 
and rising grounds clad with vines. End quote. Here they settled, renamed the country Hope from the good hope they had of it, and began to fell the wood, to pasture their cattle in the upland, and to gather the grapes. After the first winter, the Screelings came upon them at first to traffic with furs and sables against milk and dairy produce, and then to fight, for as neither understood the other, and the natives tried to force their way into Thorfinn's houses, and to get hold of his men's weapons, a quarrel was bound to come. Fearing this, Carlsfinn put a fence round the settlement, and made all ready for battle, quote, and at this very time was a child born to him in the village, called Snorre, of Gudrid his wife, the widow of Thorstein Eric's son, whom he had brought with him. Then the Eskimos came down upon them, quote, many more than before, and there was a battle, and Thorfinn's men won the day and saved the cattle, end quote, and their enemies fled into the forest. Thorfinn stayed all the winter, but towards spring he grew tired of his enterprise, and returned to Greenland, taking much goods, vines, wood for timber, and skin wares, and so came back to Eric's fjord in the summer of 1008. Thus ends the story of the last serious effort to colonize Vinland, and the saga, while giving no definite cause for this failure upon failure, seems to show that even the trifling annoyance of the Screelings was enough to turn the scale. Natural difficulties were so immense, men were so few, that a pygmy enemy had all the power of the last straw in a load, the odd man in a council. The actual resistance of American natives to European colonists was never very serious in any part of the continent, but the distance from the starting point and the difficulties of life in the new country were able, even in the time of Raleigh and De Soto, to keep in check men who far more readily founded and kept up European empires in the Indian seas. So now, though on Thorfinn's return the quote, talk began to turn again upon a Vinland voyage as both gainful and honorable, end quote, and a daughter of Red Eric, named Freydis, talked men over, especially two brothers, Helga and Finboga, to a fresh attempt in the country where all the house of Eric had tried and failed, though Leif lent his booths as before, and sixty able-bodied men, besides women, were found willing to go, the colony could never be firmly planted. Freydis and her allies sailed in 1011, reached the settlement, which was now for the third time recolonized, and wintered there. But jealousies soon broke up the camp, Helga and Finboga were murdered with all their followers, and the rest came back in 1013 to Greenland, quote, where Thorfinn Karlsfinn was just ready for sailing back to Norway, and it was common talk that never did a richer ship leave Eric's fjord than that which he steered, end quote. It was that same Karlsven who gave the fullest account of all his travels, concludes the saga, but whether Thorfinn ever returned to Vinland, whether there were any more attempts to settle at Leif's booths or elsewhere, whether the account we have of these voyages is really an Eric saga, only telling the deeds of Red Eric and his house, 
for after Bjarni, almost every Vinland leader is of this family, we cannot tell. We can only fancy that all these suggestions are probable, by the side of the few additional facts known to the Norse skalds or bards. The first of these is, that in 983-4, Are Marsen of Reykjanes, in Iceland, was driven by storms far west to white man's land, where he was followed by Bjarni Asbrunson in 999, and by Goodleaf Goodlingson in 1029. This was the tale of his friend Raffin, the Limerick trader, and of Are Frode, his great-great-grandson, who called the unknown land Great Ireland. Footnote. By some supposed to be South Carolina, by others the Canaries. End footnote. True or untrue, in whatever way, this would be a later discovery than those of Eric and his sons, if the news of it did not come into Iceland or Norway till after Thorfinn Karlsvinn's voyage, as is generally supposed. Again, the length of the voyage is a difficulty, and the whole matter has a doubtful look, an attempt to start a rival to the Eric saga by a more brilliant success a few years earlier. We seem to be on more certain ground in our next and last chapter of Viking exploration in the Northwest, in the fragmentary notices of Greenland and Vinland voyages to the middle of the fourteenth century, and in the fairly clear and continuous account of the two Greenland settlements of the western and eastern bays. We hear, for instance, of Bishop Eric going over from Eric's Fjord to Vinland in 1121. Of clergy from the eastern bay diocese of Gardar sailing to lands in the west, far north of Vinland, in 1266. Of the two Helgesons discovering a country west of Iceland in 1285. Of a voyage from Greenland to Markland in 1347 by a crew of 17 men, recorded in 1354. Unless these are pure fabrications, they would seem to prove something of constant intercourse between the mother and daughter colonies of northwest Europe and northeast America, and something of a permanent Christian settlement of Northmen in the new continent is made probable by assuming such intercourse. During 981 to 1000, both Iceland and Greenland had become Catholic in name and Christian in surname. In 1126, the line of bishops of Gardar begins with Arnold, and the clergy would hardly have ventured on the Vinland voyage to convert Screelings in an almost deserted country. The later stories of the Greenland colonies, interesting as it is, and traceable to the year 1418, is not part of the expansion but of the contraction of Europe and Christendom and the voyages of the Zeni in 1380-95 to Greenland and the western islands Estoteland and Drogeo, belonging to another part. They are the last achievements of medieval discovery before Henry of Portugal begins his work, and form the natural end of an introduction to that work. But it is curious to notice that just as the ice and the Eskimos between them are bringing to an end the last traces of Norse settlement in the Arctic continent, and just as all intercourse between Vinland, Greenland, Iceland, and Norway entirely ceases, at any rate to record itself, the Portuguese sailors, taking up the work of Eric and Leif and Thorfinn 
on another side were rounding cape verde and nearing the southern point of africa and so providing for the mind of columbus suggestions which resulted in the lasting discovery of the world that the vikings had sighted and colonized but were not able to hold the venetian welsh and arabic claims to have followed the norsemen in visits to america earlier than the voyage of fourteen ninety two belong rather to the minute history of geographical controversy it is a fairly certain fact that the northwest line of scandinavian migration reached about eighty one thousand to cape cod and the coasts of labrador it is equally certain that on this side the norsemen never made any further advance lasting or recorded against all other medieval discoveries of a western continent one only verdict can stand not proven the other lines of northern advance though marked by equal daring and far greater military exploits have less of original discovery there was fighting in plenty the giving and taking of hard knocks with every nation from archangel to cordova and from limerick to constantinople and the vikings as they reached fresh ground renamed most of the capes and coasts the rivers and islands and countries of europe of north africa of western asia iberia became spanland galicia jacob's land gallia frankland britannia england scotland bretland hibernia irland islam outside spanland passed into cirkland or saracen land greece was Griqueland, russia gadariki the pillars of hercules the straits of gibraltar were norva's sound which later days derived from the first northmen who passed through them the city of constantine was the great town miklagard novgorod was holmgard the town of all others that most touched and influenced the earlier the viking age of northern expansion for was it not their own proudest and strongest city-state and quote, who can stand before god or the great novgorod end quote, except the men who had built it and would rush to sack it if it turned against them but all this was only the passing of a more active race over ground which had already been well known to rome and to christendom even if much of this was now being forgotten it was only in upland russia and in the farthest north that the norsemen sensibly enlarged the western world to east or northeast as they did through their iceland settlements on the northwest on the south and southwest no vikings or royalist followers of vikings like sigurd the crusader sailed the seas beyond norva's sound and cirkland and as pilgrims traders travelers and conquerors in the mediterranean their work was of course not one of exploration they bore a foremost share in breaking down the moslem incubus on southern europe they visited the holy sites quote, when sacred hierosolima they'd relieved and fed their eyes on jordan's holy flood which the dear body of the lord god had lavid they fought as varangian bodyguards in the armies of the great byzantines nikephoros phocas john Tomiscus, basil the second or maniacus 
but in all this they discovered for themselves rather than for europe but russia that is old russia round novgorod and kiev the white sea the north cape and finland coasts as well as the more outlying parts of scotland and ireland were first clearly known to europe through the northmen the same race did much to open up the modern lithuania and prussia and the conversion of the whole of scandinavia mother country and colonies alike in the tenth and eleventh centuries added our norway sweden and denmark with all the viking settlements to the civilized world and the church of rome first on the eastern side it was in eight sixty two that the russians invited help from their less dreaded neighbors around upsala against their more vexatious neighbors around kiev and in september of the same year rurik arrived at novgorod and founded the medieval kingdom of russia which in the tenth century under oleg igor and vladimir was first the plunderer then the open enemy and finally the ally in faith and in arms of the byzantine empire all through this time and afterwards till the time of the tartar deluge the intercourse of swedes danes and northmen with gardariki was constant and close and not least in the time of the vinland voyages when vladimir and yaroslav reigned at novgorod and the two olafs the son of trigva and the saint found refuge at their court before and after their hard rule in norway olaf trigvason's uncle had grown old in exile at novgorod when young olaf and his mother fled from norway to join him there and were captured by vikings in the baltic and kept six years in the gulf of riga before they got to homeguard eight seventy two in ten nineteen ingigerd of sweden was married to yaroslav ten years later st olaf was driven from norway by revolt and flying into russia was offered a kingdom called volgaria the modern kassan whose old metropolis of volgar was known to the arab travellers of the ninth century and whose ruins can still be seen olaf hesitated between this and a pilgrim's death in jerusalem and at last preferred to fight his way back to norway the next king of the norsemen magnus the good came from novgorod by ladoga to trodheim when olaf's son harold hardrada fled back to his father's refuge to the court of yaroslav while magnus had been in exile men had asked news of him from all the merchants that traded to novgorod last of these earlier kings harold hardrada during all the time of his wild romance in east and south before he went to miklagard and after his flight and all the time of his service in the Vrangian guard of the empress zoe made novgorod his home his pilgrim relics from holy land and his war spoils from Cirkland, africa and sicily were all sent back to yaroslav's care till their master could come and claim them and when he came at last flying from byzantine vengeance across the black sea into the sea of azov and all around the eastern realm of kiev he found his wealth untouched and princess elizabeth ready to be his wife and to help him with russian men and money to win back norway and to die at stamford bridge for the crown of england 1066 harold is the type of all vikings 
of the Norse race in its greatest, most restless energy. William the Conqueror, or Newt the Great, or Robert Guiscard, or Roger of Sicily, are all greater and stronger men, but there is no ganger, no rover, like the man who in fifty years, after fighting in well-nigh every land of Christians, or of the neighbors and enemies of Christendom, yet hoped for time to sail off to the new-found countries, and so fulfill his oath and promise to perfect a life of unmatched adventure by unmatched discovery. He had fought with wild beasts in the arena of Constantinople. He had bathed in the Jordan, and cleared the Syrian roads of robbers. He had stormed eighty castles in Africa. He had succored the Icelanders in famine, and lived as a prince in Russia and Northumberland. By his own songs he boasts that he had sailed all round Europe. But he fell, the prototype of sea-kings like Drake or Magellan, without one discovery. Men of his own nation and time had been before him everywhere. But he united in himself the work and adventures, the conquests and discoveries, of many. He was the incarnation of northern spirit and it was through the lives and records of such as he that Europe became filled with that new energy of thought and action, that new life and knowledge, which was the ground and impulse of the movement led by Henry the Navigator, by Columbus and the Cabots. Harold's wars kept him from becoming a great explorer, but Norse captains who took service under peaceful kings did something of what he aimed at doing. We must retrace our steps to the voyages of Othere and Wolfstan under King Alfred about the year 890, about the time when a Norse king, Harold Fairhair, was first seen in the Scotch and Irish seas. Their discovery of the White Sea, the North Cape, and the gulfs of Bothnia and Finland was followed up by many Norsemen, such as Thorer Hund under St. Olaf, in the next 150 years, but Othere's voyage was the first and chief of these adventures, both in motive and result. Quote, he told his lord, King Alfred, that he dwelt northmost of all northmen on the land by the western sea, and he wished to find how far the land lay right north, or whether any man dwelt north of the waste. So he went right north near the land, for three days he left the wasteland on the right and the wide sea on the left, as far as the whale-hunters ever go, and still he kept north three days more, to the north cape of Europe. Quote, then the land bent right east, and with a west wind he sailed four days till the land bent south, and he sailed by it five days more to the great river, the Dwina, that lay up into the land, and where beyond the river it was all inhabited, quote, the modern country of Perm and Archangel. Here he trafficked with the people, the first he had met, except the Finn hunters, since leaving his fjord. Besides his wish to see the country, he was looking for walrus ivory and hides. The Finns and Bjarma men, men of Archangel, it seemed to him, spoke nearly the same language, but between his home and this Bjarma land, no human being lived in any fixed dwelling, and all the Northman's land was long and narrow and thinly peopled, decreasing in breadth as it stretched northward, 
from sixty to three days journey again alfred told how othere sailing south for a month from his house having ireland on his right and coasting norway all the time on his left came to Jutland, quote, where a great sea runs up into the land so vast that no man can see across it end quote. whence in five days more he reached the coast quote, from which the english came to britain end quote. wolfstan in the service of the same king told him how he sailed in seven days from Sleswick to Truso and the Vistula, having Vendland, or Pomerania and Prussia, on his right all the way. He described, quote, Vitland near the Vistula, and Estland and Vendland and Estmere and the Ilfing running from the Truso lake into Eastmere, end quote. But neither the king nor his captains knew enough to contradict the old idea, found in Ptolemy and Strabo, of Scandinavia as one vast island. Thus it was for the satisfaction of their Saxon lord that Wolfstan and Othere, by their voyages along the coasts of Norway and Lapland, of Pomerania and Prussia, round the White Sea and the Gulf of Riga and southern Finland, added a more coherent view of northeast Europe, and specially of the Baltic Gulf, to western geography but these norse discoveries though in the service of an english king were scarcely used save by norsemen and they must partly go to the credit of vikings as well as of alfred the great thus in nine sixty five king harold grayskin of norway quote, went and fought with the folk on the banks of the duina end quote, and plundered them and in ten twenty six Thorer Hund joined himself to a fleet sent by St. Olaf to the White Sea, pillaged the temple of the idol Jomala, and destroyed his countrymen by treachery on their way home. Where two expeditions are recorded, they may well stand for twenty unknown and uneventful ones, and the same must be equally granted as to the gradual advance of knowledge through the unceasing attacks of the Norse kings and pirates on the lands to the south of the Baltic, where lived the Wends. Thus on the west and east, northwest and northeast, the Northmen could and did make a definite advance into the unknown. Even the southwest lines of northern invasion and settlement, though they hardly yield any general results to discovery, certainly led to a more thorough inclusion of every part of the British Isles in the civilized west, through the Viking earldoms in Caithness, in the Orkneys and the Shetlands, in Man and the Hebrides, and on the coast of Ireland, where the Ostman colonies grew into kingdoms. From about 840, when the first of these settlements was fairly and permanently started, to the 11th century, when a series of great defeats, by Brian Boru at Clontarf in 1014, by Godwine and Harold in England from 1042 to 1066, and by the Norman and Scottish kings in the next generation, practically destroyed the Norse dominion outside the Orkneys. For those two hundred years, Danes and Northmen not only pillaged and colonized, but ruled and reorganized a good half of the British Isles. By the time of Alfred, the Viking principalities were scattered up and down the northern and western coasts of the greater of our two islands, and were fringing three sides of the lesser. About A.D. 900, 
the pioneer of the Norse kings, Harold Fairhair, pursued his traders, first to Shetlands and Orkneys, then to Caithness, the Hebrides, and Man. His son Eric, who followed him, ranged the northern seas from Archangel to Bordeaux, and so Hakon the Good in 936, and other Norse princes in 946, 961, 965, above all the two great kings Olaf in 985-9 and 1009-14, fought and triumphed through most of the world as known to the Northmen. Thus Frankland, England, Ireland, Scotland, were brought into closer unity through the common danger, while as the sea kings founded settled states, and these grew by alliance, first with one another and then with their older Christian victims, as the Norse kingdoms themselves became parts of Latin Christendom, after Latin Christendom had itself been revived and reawakened by their attacks, the full value of the time of trial came out on both sides to conquered and to conquerors. For the effects, formative, invigorative, provocative, of the northern invasions had a most direct bearing on the expansion that was to come in the next age even for those staid and sober western countries, England and France and Italy, which had long passed their time of migration, and where the Vikings could not, as in the far northeast and northwest, extend the area of civilization or geographical knowledge. Lastly, the new start made by England in exploration and trade, and even in pilgrimage, is plainly the result, in action and reaction, of the Norse and Danish attacks, waking up the old spirit of a kindred race, of elder cousins that had sunk into lethargy and forgotten their seamanship. But from the Peace of Wedmore, 878, Alfred first of all began to build an English navy capable to meet and chase and run down the Viking keels, then established a yearly pilgrimage and almsgiving at the threshold of the apostles in Rome, then sent out various captains in his service to explore as much of the world as was practicable for his new description of Europe. His crowning effort in religious extension was in 883, when Sigehelm and Athelstan bore Alfred's gifts and letters to Jerusalem and to India, to the Christians of San Tomé, the corresponding triumph of the king's scientific exploration, the discoveries of the White Sea and the Baltic, seem to have happened nearer the end of the reign, somewhere before 895. End of chapter 2